0: Good evening. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn over to 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, we'll be reading from there in just a few moments. We'll be in several places throughout your Bible tonight, but uh, we'll be beginning in 1 Timothy 2 here in just a few moments. And as Roger mentioned, there is a handout tonight that will go along with my my lesson, and I hope you had a chance to pick that up. If not, there's still some out there, I, I do believe. I want to begin by uh, thanking a few people. Number one, uh, the elders, uh, Jason and Roger as well, for their support uh, in allowing young men like myself to come up here uh, and, and preach the gospel. This is something that uh, I, I've had the fortune of attending several congregations throughout my lifetime. And to have a support like uh, the elders and, and Jason and Roger, and uh, as somebody who aspires to, to do more preaching, um, but to have them as, as your network and your support, Uh, It's a a true, true blessing and an honor, and I'm very grateful uh, to have uh, them uh, inviting me up here. Uh, This is my third time uh, that I've been able to preach, so... uh Uh, I guess the first two times didn't go as bad as I thought it was going to in my mind, so they uh, continue to invite me back, and that's always a a really uh, reassuring thing, Uh, and thanks to uh, so many of you as well who continue to support me in this as well, and my family. Uh, It just means the world. Uh, I also want to thank our team up in the booth. I was a little worried all day long because Roger may have preached in the BC era before computers, but... I have not, uh, and so I was a little worried. I'd only seen uh, really one sermon uh, when, that was not intended, at least, to, to have technology, um, only one sermon on not on a PowerPoint. That was actually an overhead projector, and if you're too young to know what an overhead projector is, count your blessings, um, because that was uh, a little worrisome this morning, but it does appear, and we'll find out here shortly. Uh, that our technology is working, and I'm, I'm very grateful to our team for uh, getting that up and going and uh, helping us all. You know, Not everybody gets the chance to, to see you know, everybody in action, and it's just a, a true blessing to be part of a, a congregation and a, a team like this. Um, just this morning, they were running around and making sure we could have our services and, and worship our God, and it's just a true honor to be part of that, that, uh, that group. So my, uh, my lesson today is titled, Jesus, Our Mediator. Something I've been thinking about uh, for, for quite some time is this idea of Jesus as a mediator, what that actually means for us. We're going to read about it uh, in First Timothy in just a moment, but uh, this concept is one that uh, is referenced in, in multiple occasions throughout the Bible. And I hope for just a few moments tonight we'll have a chance to unpack that, what it really means to have a mediator uh, in our lives and, and why we need this mediator in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if you will, again, picking up in First Timothy 2, uh, kind of the launching off point for tonight's conversation, we read here in First Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6. First Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6 says, "...for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior." Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And again, if you're following along in the outline, and and as I mentioned just a few moments ago, I want to focus our attention on that, that middle portion there. Uh, Jesus as our mediator, the one mediator, uh, which will be an important uh, distinction here in a few moments that we'll be making as well, one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Uh, Again, this concept of mediation is something that I've had uh, quite some time to think about uh, for a variety of different reasons, and I want to really focus our conversation tonight and and my discussion of it around two fundamental questions that I think are, are tremendously important if we are to understand. 1 Timothy 2, and that is what is mediation and what does a mediator actually do? Uh, And when we think about those two questions, I'm sure there's some thoughts that start to pop up in your mind, at least uh, from an earthly standpoint, what mediation may look like. Uh, When we look up that definition of mediation, so Webster defines it as the following. Uh, Three possible options here as far as what mediation is according to literal definitions. One, an intervention between conflicting parties to promote reconciliation. And if you were with us this morning, you know, Roger talked quite a bit about reconciliation, this idea of bringing back together what was uh, once separated and made whole or settlement or compromise says there as well, it's an indirect conveyance or communication through an intermediary. Uh, Or lastly, point C there, the transmission by an intermediate mechanism or agency. And so each of these three kind of versions of the same definition allow us a a small understanding, but I want to go deeper with you all tonight as to uh, how I have always viewed mediation and how the Scripture teaches us Jesus mediates our lives and, and mediates the hope that we have for eternal life ever after. And I wanna do so using some examples that I'm, at least to begin with, that I'm most familiar with. So some of you know uh, that I actually uh, am a a college professor. I do, uh, I'm an academic by trade. So I've done research on, on various topics. And the main one that I look at is the idea of how communication functions and helps us to learn. Uh, And that's an interesting concept for me because I think it's so essential to so many pieces of our lives, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in our classrooms, whether it be in church. I think there's a lot of places in which communication is the primary mechanism by which we're trying to learn as humans. And so I want to give you an example of of how mediation fits into that um, because there's a lot of them out there that are potentially relevant. There's a concept, and you're uh, exposed to it at least every week by Jason and Roger, uh, even though the terms may be uh, relatively novel to you here, called immediacy. And what immediacy is, is what Jason and Roger do quite well. Uh, Jason, so I, I know this because I, I oftentimes will work in the booth and I work with them on the uh, recording. So uh, we're tracking you know, Jason and Roger up here on the pulpit and they're moving around a lot, You know how they get really excited. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's the slight difference in age, Roger, but Jason's a little bit more all over the place, so I'm always trying to track him down with the camera up there. Um, but what we're talking about there is actually this concept known as immediacy. And immediacy is the behaviors that decrease psychological distance. And so I'll give you a few of it as an example. Uh, so moving around the actual process of using physical space is one of them. Gesturing is another, and Roger was forced to do a lot more of that today with no PowerPoint slides. So he was, I remember he was making some kind of Pac-Man symbol at one point to try to show uh, what would have been in his slides. Uh, gesturing is part of that. Eye contact is a big part of that. Uh, Even something like verbal immediacy, which is calling somebody by name, right? And so, for instance, uh, one of the things we know about immediacy, or one of the most interesting things about immediacy, why I'm always fascinated by, is there's a really strong relationship between those behaviors and people learning. And you think to yourself, why does Jason or Roger moving around on this pulpit, why are they moving around gesturing, fluctuating their voices, making eye contact with me, how could that possibly help me to learn? right and, and let me give you an even more example i'm gonna pick on alan here for a moment because alan and i are, are golfing buddies so uh alan i'm looking at you i'm making eye contact i'm gesturing i'm getting closer to you than most people in this room i'm calling on you by name do you feel the learning just kind of elevating in your body yes, I do. you do okay i was hoping you would say no actually but I, i'm that's wonderful Um uh, so Oftentimes what we see that's really interesting is that just doing this alone doesn't actually cause people to learn, right? What's really important here, what's really interesting is there's a mediator that explains this, right? There's something that channels through that allows these behaviors to actually help us to learn, right? And so I would suspect, Alan, and this might be the case for you and for others, is that it actually helps us to pay attention, So one of the things that you'll notice, and I I see this a lot uh, in the classes, so when Jason and Roger or others are down here, when we're moving around, when you move to one side of the room or another, you start to see those heads pop up a little bit more, and there's a little bit more alertness, and there's a little bit more attention, right? And this idea here is that we are social beings. We have a social obligation. When somebody's looking at us in the eye, it's really hard to just not pay any attention to them, right? And I know this also, uh, it starts at a very early age. When I need to tell my four-year-old something to do, I want to make sure we're uh, making eye contact, we're engaged with each other, we're talking about it, so that he has to pay attention. And he feels that, right? There's a social pool, there's a draw there that we have to each other, that when these behaviors occur, we have an obligation or we have a desire to want to pay attention. And that in return allows us to learn more effectively, right? I don't know that anybody would debate the attention to learning link is one that makes a lot of sense, right? When we're able to focus on something, when we're able to pay attention to something, we're much more likely to learn about whatever it is that we're paying attention to. So that's mediation. And what I, I show this example because this is oftentimes the types of things that I, I research and I, I look at, and it's because it's the the effects are not obvious or direct themselves. They are transmitted through something. And you might be seeing where I'm going here when we start to think about how this applies to Jesus, right? How this applies to our spiritual life and how this applies to our faith. So one of the things that we know from Scripture, going all the way back to Genesis, was that we were intended to have a relationship with God. He developed us in that way. He wanted us to have relationships with Him. And so this relink, this connection was there from the very beginning. The unfortunate thing that did occur, and it has impacted each and every one of us in our lives in a multitude of ways, is that sin did enter into the fold. And it severed that link. It severed that connection, thus requiring the same type of mediation that I just referenced. And this is where we get back to 1 Timothy 2. Because in 1 Timothy 2, we're told that Jesus is that mediator. And we're going to see multiple other passages here today that talk about why and how he mediates and why that's such an important part of our lives and why we need to really be considering how that mediator uh, is influencing our day-to-day decisions. So when we think about Jesus as a mediator, one of the things that I want us to to really reflect on and, and take away today is the fact that Jesus is not just a mediator. Because that that really undercuts the significance of Jesus. Jesus is the mediator. He is a perfect mediator. So if you're filling in the blanks there, uh, Jesus is the perfect mediator. In fact, that is a concept that's pulled directly from Scripture. We're going to look at that in just one moment. But this question that is in front of you right now, what makes Jesus a perfect mediator, our perfect mediator? Well, there's a couple things from Scripture I think that we can look to that help us to understand why he is indeed the perfect mediator. And so I'll draw your attention to a couple of them, although there's, there's even more that we could potentially look at uh, tonight as we go along. So first, I want to draw your attention to John 14. John 14, in verse 6, and I'll have uh, several of these up here on the screen, but encourage you to uh, continue to follow along as we jump to, to multiple places throughout your Bible. It says there in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a couple things in that that I want to really reemphasize there. Jesus does a fantastic job of being very clear and very direct. But the the final couple of portions there, no one, so let's draw attention to that. There's not multiple mediators, right? There's not multiple pathways you can take. Uh, I just recently got back uh, with the family from Florida and we made the I think it was a smart decision, but it wasn't uh, always agreed upon at the time to drive to Florida, Uh, and I still, I stand by that, but if you've ever driven to Florida or Disney World, you know there are multiple ways potentially to get there. Uh, Some of them are better than others, uh, and I would encourage you to take ones that don't cause you to hit Atlanta at rush hour. However, there are multiple ways of getting there, whereas here what we're seeing is that there's not multiple ways to getting to God. Jesus is saying no one. He's, he's, not, he's not sugarcoating this. He's saying there's not this option A, or maybe you like option C. Uh, he's saying no one gets to the Father except through, which is the other important part of this, through him, right? Through him, transmitted through me. Right? There's nothing there that says that you can go around. You can take uh, op- option C, option D. You can uh, consider this as a, a, a nice kind of bonus. He's saying no one gets to the Father except through That's mediation, It's mediation in its purest form. Purest form states that you cannot get from A to C without going through B. And that's what Jesus is saying here as well, is that I am the mediator, the perfect mediator, the only one with the possibility of life everlasting. We also see this come up in Acts 4. Acts 4 in verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's not too many more ways that you can reiterate this, to to say that that Jesus is the one, the only, the perfect mediator, the one in which life is transmitted through, if it is to get to internal life and to a connection and a relationship with God. We see a a contrast, though, an interesting one, that if you were with us last Sunday, uh, and it was last Sunday morning, Jason referenced this, Uh, And it kind of stuck with me throughout this last week so much. In fact, I I picked his brain uh, over lunch uh, this week uh, about this very idea. We were talking about Hebrews, Hebrews 8, uh, and he starts with saying, Hebrews 8, verse 4 through 5, says, "...for if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle." And so one of the things I asked Jason, and one of the things that I've continued to study throughout this week and and through the last several weeks as I've prepared for this is there have been other mediators. In particular, Moses was a mediator from God to man, right? And 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 it states here, uh, actually we'll read in in the next verse, uh, verse 6, "...but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises." So when we think about the Old Testament, we think about God's relationship to Israel, and we think about how he worked through Moses. We know that Moses did many things that, in fact, Jesus would go on to do as well, which was to communicate and translate the word of God. But Moses couldn't do what Jesus did, which was to die for the sins that we have committed and to give us that hope of everlasting love and everlasting life with the Father who is in heaven. We read this again in multiple places. And we're going to continue to see uh, different examples of that as we go along. So one of the last things I wanted to draw your attention to uh, with respect to Jesus as the perfect mediator comes from Romans. Romans 8 and verse 34 says, then, who then is one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There's a word there that's Uh, relatively new to the conversation, and we saw it actually back in the definitions uh, from the the Websters, Marion Websters, but it's new to this conversation in the sense that what does interceding mean, right? What does that actually mean? We're going to see that this is something that is active and ongoing, which is actually uh, maybe the best part of this good news is that this is something that is available every single day. In fact, He he is interceding for us right now at this very moment. And and how truly uh, special that is to have somebody who is not just a, a, a Savior who at one point did something really great for us, He's continuing to do something very great for us every single day, Uh, and He's interceding. Notice that the action on that verb is that it is present. This is occurring as we speak, as we move forward. He continues to be an intercession for us and for our prayers, for our communication, and for our relationship with God. So we've established that Jesus is the perfect mediator. But I want to introduce one additional layer before we talk about how he mediates, specific ways the Scripture teaches us that he continuously and actively intercedes on our part. I want to take a look at a a differentiation or a distinction between a different word that I think oftentimes encaptures or uh, encapsulates the way the world looks at this idea. Uh, And so that's moderation. So I'm introducing a slightly different uh, terminology here that I wanna go back to the beginning and show you an example of how that's different. So moderation, what is that and what does that mean? Well, I'll go back to the, uh, the examples and kind of the illustrations I was pulling from to start this with. When you think of moderation, it does not imply or does not require uh, something to go through something else. And I'll give you a few examples, but we'll start with this one. When we think about that relationship, again, between attention and learning, most of us agreed, we nodded our heads. Yes, it makes sense that if you're paying attention, you're more likely to learn. There's a relationship there that doesn't require an additional intercession to explain. Well, moderation provides additional nuance to help us understand the the importance or the uh, enrichment of that relationship. And so let me give you an example. You've heard uh, uh, Roger a couple times, and, and you may have thought yourself about uh, reflect on the time of our services, right? So that's an interesting uh, concept that I've always wondered because... I, like at least Roger, we're early risers apparently, Roger. We, we like to see that sunrise, and, and if we could be here at 6.30 worshiping God on Sunday mornings, I think that would be fantastic. I'm not seeing a lot of nods of support uh, for 6.30 a.m. worship services out there, which makes me believe, but also the research tells us, it doesn't create the most conducive learning environments for a lot of people. Uh, And so a lot of us would not benefit from that as much as Roger and I would like it to. And so what we're seeing there is actually a moderated relationship. Time can influence the relationship between attention and learning, but it doesn't require that be used to explain that relationship. So let me rephrase that just to make sure we're clear. Notice you can have a relationship between attention and learning, without going through time right now time helps us to understand it better but it's not a requirement for us to be able to connect the two dots okay so we used the example earlier that the more time you spend on something the more likely you are to learn it but if you're able to focus your attention even for five minutes you're able to learn something let me frame it in the reverse way for a moment just because we have services at 9 30 a.m on a sunday morning doesn't mean you couldn't learn about God at other times by giving him your attention at 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, right? So it's not a requirement. It's not a prerequisite. It's not an intermediary. Does that make sense? So when we think about this idea of moderation versus mediation, the thing that worries me most, the thing that oftentimes I notice and observe, and I've noticed it maybe because it's been uh, the focal point of my, my mind over the last several days, but I noticed it a lot even today. I noticed that Jesus oftentimes is framed as a moderator between the world and God, rather than the mediator that Scripture often teaches us about, okay? And so when we think about that, we know, and let me be very clear, there's a blank that I want you to fill in, and I want you to, as much as you can, bold it. Uh, Jesus as a moderator does not align with Scripture, And I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by that. And I want to give you some examples as well uh, that I think illustrate this. But Jesus as a moderator, I know these two terms might be somewhat foreign if you don't use them regularly, but as a moderator, it is not aligned with scripture. And let me explain what I mean by that. So when we talk about the world's relationship with God, you've heard expressions said to you, and if you've been on this earth long enough, and it only really takes a few days to figure out that people will say things like, my God does this right? My God would never, my God that, how do we have so many versions of our God? Well, the reality is, is that the world is not channeling their understanding of God or their relationship of God through Jesus. What they're doing is they're creating their own pathways to him, right? Now, Jesus, in many cases, is an added bonus. Notice the pluses or the minuses there. Yeah, I love Jesus on Easter, yeah, Jesus on Christmas. I tell you, that, that Jesus is my favorite, right? That, that, that's a Jesus that I can really appreciate. Who doesn't love a birthday? Right? But when we think about the Scripture, what we see here is that it's not, a medi- or it's not a moderated relationship that we learn about. I draw your attention back to John 14. John 14, we read, and I want to I emphasize this again. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me not an added bonus. It's not something that you can make up what you want around Jesus so that it's more digestible. I go back to, there's some interesting marketing research uh, that that started to emerge in the 1970s. And for those who uh, were around at that time and familiar with that time, you know that there was a a trend that started around uh, Burger King, but many others adopted a version of it, have it your way, right? Have it your way was a slogan of Burger King for many, many years. And it was a reflection, a small reflection of a much larger concept, which is individualization. We've wanted things our way for a long, long time. In fact, when I was talking to Jason about this at lunch, we were at Panera, and uh, I looked over and we were talking about the menu. I said, how many combinations do you think we could order if we wanted it? And we started trying to do just a few numbers, and we got up to hundreds, if not thousands, of combinations of orders. We could have it our way. Do we want soup? Do we want a sandwich? Do we want a Pepsi? Do we, we can just pick and choose everything we want. And there's a lot of benefits with that when we think about an earthly sense. But there's a lot of, of, of really dangerous ways of thinking when we start to apply that to Scripture and we start to apply that to our spiritual life. We don't get to have it our way. We don't get to have Jesus when it's convenient to us. Uh, we have Jesus when we want a relationship with God. We, we are, are at His mercy And we are are fortunate to have him as our mediator. So when I draw your attention to this, I think a lot of us are able to nod our heads and agree and and think that, yes, we want Jesus as a mediator. I I don't know of a lot of people who would disagree with that concept or disagree with that notion. And yet, I want to challenge you as we go forward here to, to really think about, are there things that we're doing in our own lives that we actually are positioning Jesus as a moderator? We're not always seeking to transmit through him the actions that we are called to make and the behaviors that we are called to make. And I think to to better understand that, we first need to talk about that second question, which is, what does a mediator do? But I want to circle back around here before the end of this and and revisit that challenge and maybe even share with you a challenge of my own that that reflects on how uh, constant and, and regular that decision is, is whether or not we're seeking to use Jesus as a mediator or as a moderator. So the question, what does a mediator do? I think that's an important one. I think that's one that we could spend quite a bit of time talking about, but I want to be cognizant of our time. So I'll just limit to three uh, for tonight. Three ways that Jesus offers us mediation. One of them that is near and dear to uh, my household uh, is that Jesus mediates our prayers. And I say near and dear to my household, it should be near and dear to all of our households. But uh, I have a four-year-old and now a two-year-old who are starting to compete with who gets to say amen at the end of a prayer. And I try to tell them that it's not something that's limited to just one person. But the idea of praying in Jesus' name is something that is uh, scriptural. It is something that we are called to do. In fact, we see it referenced in a couple of occasions. I'll draw your attention to one. That's John 14 verses 12 through 14. It says, most assuredly I say to you, "...he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father." Interesting, right? Interesting how we're seeing that visual depiction laid out there. We see if you're seeking the Father, you're actually going to get there in a far more richer way going through me. It's the only way, but that, that, that seeking will be fulfilled through me, and you will do works that are even greater than your expectations." And when you think about that, we go on to read in, in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I have heard it said on many of occasions, but it's worth repeating. This is not a, 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 an excuse, or it's not something that's just a blanket statement that says, As long as we're praying in Jesus' name, everything we ever want is going to happen. Yeah, I've, I've been around at least long enough to know that. And, and I think it really starts with the context, which I, I left up here on the screen and I encourage you to keep in mind as well, which is most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Well, what does that mean? Well, if he believes in me, he's not going to be asking for a, bi- a billion dollars, right? Because he knows that's not what's going to get him to heaven. It's not what's going to get her to where she needs to be for eternity. So he who believes in me is a, a prerequisite. It's a mediator in and of itself. You have to believe, as we'll talk about here in just a few moments, in order to receive this benefit, in order to receive the power of the prayers that we have and the, and the opportunity that we have to communicate with God in the name of the Son. And so that's one way is to, that Jesus is actively mediating our lives is through prayer, which I think is a tremendously powerful and uh, important uh, form of mediation that we all get to benefit from uh, every day. The second way that I have uh, tried to summarize the multitude of of types of mediation that Jesus offers us is through relationships. Jesus is uh, an active and living example and a means by which we are expected to engage with those around us. And so let's see a couple of examples of that from Scripture. I want to draw your attention to Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians chapter 4, you'll find in verse 32, but there's some context around that also helps us to understand verse 32. But in verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Right? In Christ. So, one, I've had to limit some of the scriptures tonight because I got a little overwhelmed with just how many times either mediation, mediator, or through or in Christ was referenced. When you start searching that way, when you start doing a Bible study for those types of concepts, you're going to find this is prevalent throughout Scripture. And it was even talked about before Jesus' arrival in the Old Testament. And so one of these ideas here that we see in Ephesians that we also see unpacked later on uh, in 1 Peter 2, uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 1 through 5, and I'll read the entirety of this because I think it really does help to understand how Jesus mediates and ex- mediates both our expectations and the behaviors he has for us. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, But chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built by a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that reference there with the emphasis on through is my own as an illustration of just how widespread and prevalent this idea of mediation. Christ mediating the means by which we are expected to live daily through him as we are called to God and as we seek the relationship with our Father who is in heaven. The last way, and it's, again, a fairly exhaustive list, but there's so many layers we can unpack with this. But the last way is arguably, and not arguably, it is the most important. Jesus is mediating our eternal judgment. And I can think of no greater blessing in the world than to have Jesus as our mediator for the life ever after and the eternity that awaits us. I'm drawn to this idea so oftentimes, and and maybe it's just because I watch a lot of... I used to watch a lot of TV. I don't get to anymore with being a dad and working a lot and all this kind of stuff. But when I was back in college and when I watched a lot of TV, law and order shows, court shows, these types of things oftentimes drew my interest. And I think about uh, the, the idea of a courtroom and if here we are on trial and the the life, uh, the eternal life that's ahead of us is dependent on the verdict of that trial, I want Jesus as my advocate. I want Jesus as my mediator. And we see this scripturally throughout the New Testament. I'll draw your attention to 1 John first here. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate. Somebody who, again interceding on our behalf and, and arguing and, and, and being the intermediary that we need to have that hope of life everlasting. We're going to continue to unpack that uh, as we go forward these final couple of examples here, uh, including in Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, there's, there's quite a bit from Hebrews actually that we could continue to unpack as we think about the mediation that Christ offers us but in Hebrews 7, uh, verse 25, "...therefore he's also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God, through him." Through him, right? I know it sounds like we're, we're just repeating and reiterating, because I think it's, it's, it's God's way of saying this is really important. You have to understand there are no other means. You have to understand that while his love is uncomprehendable, his description is very comprehensible. His instruction is very clear. It's through Christ that you get to experience the love of God. It's through Christ that you get to enjoy the eternal life that he has in store for you. And so he says there, again, going back to Hebrews 7, 25, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If there's nothing else you take away from that lesson, that that last part there of Hebrews 7, verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. That was his purpose. His purpose was to be our intermediary, to be the mediator that we needed, that without we could not have had the hope of a, a God and a love that, that is without bounds, uh, Jesus, the perfect mediator. So one final verse to illustrate this, and then I'll, I'll share with you a, a challenge that I uh, uh, encountered and, and that began my thought process of, of mediation so many years ago. The final comes from Hebrews 9 and verse 15, and I think it just really reiterates much of what we've talked about over the last few moments. It says, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. The mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of transgressions it's spelled out pretty clearly, and yet I think oftentimes here in 2022, we look at and we think about, well, wouldn't it be nice if it was just Jesus on Sunday? And that's Jesus as a moderator. Now I, can, I don't have to focus on what he had to say, because I can do what I want to do on Monday. I can do what I have to do or feel like I have to do on, on Tuesday and Thursday. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the mediator in all things through him are the means by which we inherit eternal life. I challenged us earlier to think about some of the ways in which we as individuals look at or possibly use, whether it be intentional or unintentional, Jesus as a moderator as opposed to a mediator. And again, the biggest distinction between those two is that the mediation occurs through rather than is enhanced by. And if I'm being really honest with myself, there was a moment in my life many, many years ago when this realization became crystal clear for me. And it was several years ago um, before when it was just my wife and I, we had been married a few years, and, that, and for you fathers and husbands and, and dads out there, you, you likely remember this moment as well, very vividly as I do when uh, my wife told me that we were expecting our first child and uh, i'll never forget the day i'll never forget where i was i'll never forget what she was wearing i never forget that moment and the emotions that i felt the pride that i had the joy that i had i was going to be a dad and i was just so eager to tell everyone that i could and um we, the when we found out that we were expecting it was a little before Thanksgiving, um, and we thought, well, we're going to wait until after uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we want to have this moment to ourselves for a while. And we weren't going to quite, we weren't quite ready to tell people yet. And so, for uh, many weeks thereafter, uh, I was thinking about, and I know my wife was as well, how do we, how do we tell our family about this great, great blessing that, that is coming and that we're so eager to? To talk about and share with the world, and um, I remember we were actually at a shopping mall. This is when we were living up in Illinois, and uh, we were at a shopping mall, and I came across a kiosk that was um, making. Many of you see these at the holidays, that was making uh, little Christmas ornaments, right? and you could get your names written on it, and and you could have the baby's name put on it if you haven't a name picked out yet, or you can just you know write baby to let the family know that this was coming. And, and we had agreed we were going uh, to make a couple of these. We are going to wrap them up as Christmas presents, and that was going to be uh, how we told some family members, the closest ones in our family. So we bought them, had them inscripted, uh, the, the, uh, and had, uh, had them wrapped. And again, living up in Illinois, much of our family is from Indiana. We traveled home for the holidays a couple days before Christmas, And uh, I remember, very, very vividly, December 23rd. December 23rd was two days before Christmas. We were eager to begin opening the gifts and sharing the great news. When it became clear that something was wrong. And over the next couple of hours, we had... Couple phone calls and a, a doctor's visit, and we had a miscarriage. And I remember some of the first thoughts that I had in my mind were a combination of helplessness, hopelessness, anger. But as a dad, as a husband, one of the things that at least I want to do more than anything is solve problems. I want to take away pain. I want to remove the barriers in my my family's life. And I want to create the best pathway for them to to be successful and to have a, a hope of a relationship with God. And I remember for the first time in my life feeling absolutely lost, absolutely helpless, absolutely hopeless. And as I think back on that, and as I did in that moment as well, I should have put my feelings through Christ. I should have used him as a mediator. Instead, like I challenged each and every one of you, I realized I used that time to look at Christ as a moderator. It wasn't convenient for me at that time, it didn't help. Me channel my frustrations, at least in my thoughts at that time. And it was the absolute wrong decision to make. I try to solve that problem myself. I try to find the right words to say, try to find the right things to do. And what I should have been doing was reading scripture. What I should have been doing was looking at Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will straighten your paths. Not when it's convenient, not when you want it to, not when things are going right. All your heart, all your time, mediator, not moderator. And so as you think about this lesson tonight, I hope some things remind or stay in your mind. I hope some things resonate with you. I hope that as you think about whether or not Jesus is currently and actively living in your life as a mediator, you think about the consequences of if he's not. Without Jesus, that relationship, that link with God, no matter how we can justify or rationalize or explain it in our own minds, the relationship with God doesn't exist. The relationship with God can't exist there's one means by which we are instructed and called to connect with the Father in heaven, and that is through His Son, through our Savior, through Christ Jesus. If you're here with us tonight, and if you've had hardships of of any kind, and, and you're seeking a mediator, like I was seeking a mediator, if you're seeking a path forward, like I was seeking a path forward, if you're seeking a means by which you can have life, hope, a relationship with the God who created you, it's through Christ Jesus. If you haven't been able to establish that relationship, tonight is the perfect night. There is no better time than tonight. Tonight represents a moment that can change your life forever. And let me be very clear, this lesson is not just for those who are not Christians. This is a lesson that maybe is, is as applicable, if not more applicable, for those who are. Oftentimes, we look at Christ and we look at our relationships with the Father and we think we're using Him as a mediator. But there are times in which if we are honest with ourselves, we're seeing and using Him as a moderator, only when it's convenient. Or maybe when it's too hard, we we turn away. That's just not the answer. And if you have fallen short in any way of seeking Christ as our mediator, or as your mediator, the invitation is for you as well. You have brothers and sisters here who are are the first to to lend a hand, the first to offer a prayer, and they'll do whatever they can to help you reconcile that relationship with Christ, which in turn will allow you to reconcile that relationship with God. So if there is anything that we can do tonight to draw your attention and to bring you closer to the mediator that is Christ Jesus, please let it be known as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Grab your songbook, please, and turn to number 63.